In case you missed last week, we unveiled the brand new theme for the rest of 2013 and heading into 2014. We've had many awesome themes in the past, um, but the theme for the next rest of this year and on to next year is coming straight out of the Great Commission where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And so the theme is called to boldly go. We are going as a church to make disciples, to become disciples. The sermon series is flowing straight out of the Great Commission where Jesus said, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So every sermon for the next 12 months is going to be something Jesus taught. We're going to literally sit under the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ together um, for a year. And the first sermon of the series today uh, is going to be about a wedding. In fact, the title of the sermon is A Wedding Story, but perhaps a better title would have been A Wedding Disaster story, because you'll find out the story Jesus told actually turns out to be a pretty disastrous wedding. Now, have you heard about disaster weddings? Have you heard about them, some modern-day disaster weddings? Maybe you haven't, so let me share a few stories with you. Did you hear about the one where at the wedding, a woman decided to slow dance with the groom, and then when the bride came up and tried to cut in, the woman beat up the bride. (laughs) She didn't want the bride dancing with the groom. Or how about Um, at one wedding where a couple realized all of their wedding gifts were gone and one of their own guests was arrested in the parking lot trying to run off with all their money and all their presents and he ended up going to jail. Or how about the one where at this couple's wedding things got a little out of hand and a food fight broke out and the guests started throwing lobster at one another. And they caused so much damage, the police had to be called three times. And after the wedding was over, the banquet hall sued the couple for the damages done to the facility. (laughs) Or how about this one? Sophie Clark and her father were taking a nice, pleasant, romantic, horse-drawn carriage ride to the wedding. And how romantic that would be for the bride to pull up in a horse-drawn carriage as her groom waited. The only problem is the horse got spooked and bolted at full speed, the driver and the assistant driver fell off the carriage, and the carriage careened out of control and headed into highway traffic. So the father of the bride had to throw the bride out of the carriage and then jump himself before they got hit by a truck. And they were injured so badly that it took six weeks before they could actually complete the wedding. (laughs) But I think the best, probably the best story I read, goes to the couple that decided to zip line into their own wedding together. (laughs) You're laughing and you don't even know what happens. Go ahead and show the video. Here they come. The bride's coming first. Doesn't she look like an angel? Floating over the water. Everyone's so happy. Now look at the groom off in the distance. Here he comes. Going a little Sounded like a great idea at the time. <laughs> I'm sure that you could stand up and share stories from your wedding of things that just went wrong, but I sure hope your wedding was not a disaster. Jesus tells a story today that is a wedding disaster. And that story has a spiritual message for you. He shares it in hopes that you will understand spiritual truth from the story. Let's pray, and then we'll hear the parable of the wedding banquet together. Father, we thank you that 
you sent your son into the world and uh, just for a small part of his life, he decided to go about teaching things about the kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for the truths that he imparted. And these were straight from you. And we're just so grateful that the Lord Jesus Christ gave us information that we could not get anywhere else and made things known that we could never discover alone. So speak truth to us through this story. We pray that we would hear clearly where we are in the story and what you're calling us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus is going to tell what's called a parable. You need to know what a parable is in order to understand why he's telling this story. A parable is a story with embedded spiritual lessons using familiar events or objects. And in the parable, Jesus speaks specific truths to specific people groups. Now, you're going to be in one of those groups today, and you've got to figure out which group you're in so you can understand what he's saying to you. But in addition, it's helpful to understand where Jesus was when he shared this parable. Okay? Where was he? Was he in a boat? Was he, you know, was he walking on the water? Where was he? He was in the temple courts, and he was surrounded by not only his disciples, but also just the Jews who had come to the temple for the feast. But in addition, he was surrounded by his enemies who were wanting really badly to catch him in something so they could kill him. He's telling parables so he can say cutting things without them being able to get him. You know, it's like he tells it in story form. So they, and they know, oh, he just said something bad about us, but they can't quite, you know, convict him on coming right out and saying things. Okay, so that's a parable. That's the context. Look at chapter 22, and here we go. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The parable is a story with many actors in it. Jesus cast different characters to play different roles. And in order to understand what he's saying, we have to first understand who the actors are. So here's the first person we want to talk about. Write this down in your bulletin as you take notes. God is the starring actor. He is the king overall. There was a king who had a wedding feast for his son. Playing the part of king is, tell me. Playing the part of king is, tell me now. God and, and God the Father. God is portrayed here as king over all. 
Write that down. He's king over all. It's his kingdom. They're his servants. And they go out to call all of his subjects to the feast in honor of his son. The kingship of God is well established throughout the Bible. God likes to be known as a king because he has authority over everyone and everything. Indeed, the whole world. But he was specially enthroned over the people of Israel because this is a nation he formed and called out of bondage in Egypt. So even though God is officially king over all, he also likes to talk about this thing known as the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven represents generally the sphere of his rule, but it includes only people who voluntarily place themselves under his kingly rule and authority. Now hear me out. Even though God is king over all, why do we pray, O Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on on earth as it is in heaven? Why? Because God's kingdom in heaven is not fully established on earth. And Jesus beckons people in the New Testament to enter the kingdom. And he even says, many are rushing into the kingdom while some are not. So here's the truth. In this parable, God is the king of a kingdom, but not everyone has entered into his uh, kingdom yet. They haven't yet received the invitation to be part of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is using this to describe that there's the king calling out to you to come into the kingdom of heaven and to willfully go into under his authority. Now, I don't know about you, but if a king established a banquet, if a king sent out an invitation and said, hey, I want you, I want you to come to this banquet, all right, would you go? I mean, like, think of the food and think of you could dress to your best. I'd probably go. I think if I could pick any royal banquet of all time in any way, I'd probably, uh, you know, I'm kind of a Lord Lord of the Rings nerd, and so I'd, I'd probably pick this one. This is the wedding of Aragorn and Arwen, his bride. And boy, if I received an invitation to that, humor me now. Man, I'd be there. Wow, it's a royal, kingly wedding banquet. Like, who wouldn't want to go? Um, be amazing. The original audience would have heard this parable and heard king, wedding, invited. Most of them would never have received that invitation. It would have been a given. Of course I would have gone. Either I would have gone because I would have been afraid not to go or because I would have been honored to go. So they would have immediately heard, wait a minute, what do you mean they didn't go? What do you mean these people didn't go? That's insulting. That's irreverent. What do you mean they didn't go? Of course you go when the king invites you somewhere. So God is the king overall. He's portrayed as a generous, loving king who wants his subjects to come and enjoy his fellowship and his banquet. But there's also the son. The son. And I bet you can guess, even though I didn't tell you yet, who's playing the part of the son of the king in the parable? Go ahead. Tell me who it is. It's Jesus. And Jesus is claiming two major things by saying, okay, I'm going to tell you this little story where God's the king, and I'm going to play the part of the king's son. The original audience who heard that, it would have stung their ears to think that anyone would have claimed to be God's son. Okay, you've heard that a lot, so maybe you're like, well, yeah, of course you claim to be God's son. But to think that Jesus claimed to be God's son, they said, you, in claiming to be the son of God, a mere man, make yourself to be God. He was claiming to be of a blood relative of God, meaning same spiritual DNA of the same substance and kindred as God. Now, maybe you would say, oh, well, I'm a child of God, too. Yeah, but you're adopted. 
You're adopted into the family, and all God's kids are adopted but one. Jesus is a blood relative of God. And when he claims to be the son and claims to be God's kindred and family, he's saying, I'm God the son, and I deserve all honor in the kingdom just like my father. In fact, my father is setting it up to honor me in the kingdom, and you have to come and honor me. That's what he's saying. So two things we pull out of this, jot this down. Jesus is claiming to be God in essence and in nature. Write that down. He's claiming to be God in essence and in nature. Very special, one of a kind, only Jesus claims to be God the Son. Second, Jesus is claiming to be the promised Messiah. God in essence and nature and the promised Messiah. The Jews who were surrounding him would have been taught from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 25, 6, where one of the things that the Messiah is described as is he's like the leader of a banquet. And he, he brings festal joy to the people. And so when, when they heard banquet, they'd think, oh wait, the Messiah is supposed to be like leading a banquet. And when Jesus is the honored person who the banquet is for, they would have understood Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah, talked about in the Old Testament in claiming that the banquet is all in honor of him. They would have known that. They would have said, wait a minute, okay, we're good with God being the king, but what's with this Jesus being God in essence and nature and Jesus being the promised Messiah? He's trying to get that across. Okay, now let's talk about the servants. The servants were sent out to invite guests into the banquet hall. You can write this down. The servants represent prophets and Christians in the New Testament. Prophets and Christians in the New Testament. So this would be believers in general. Jesus sent out the 12, then he sent out the 72, and they're welcoming people into the kingdom. John the Baptist represents a prophet in the New Testament who's telling people about the kingdom. And how sad would it be if in this parable Jesus said, and the king sent the servants out. And the servants, instead of going and inviting people, sat down and talked amongst themselves. Hey, how you doing today? Yeah, I know the food's getting cold, but I just really don't feel any urgency to go and invite people to this banquet. And sadly, when Christians don't get the urgency that God sends us out to go and invite the bad and the good into the kingdom of God, the mission can't go forward. And we have to get it, right? And thankfully, the servants in this parable get it. And they go out and they invite people in. So the servants are prophets and Christians. And hey, listen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got to catch the urgency here. The room is set. The table is filled. The banquet hall is decorated. It's that urgent. When God says, go and invite him in, well, I get around to it. No, 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 food's getting cold. Wedding now. Run and get them and bring them in. It's urgent. It's urgent. I've got a picture of a few celebrity weddings here and fine banquet halls that are all set up, all set up. See that? And it's as if God right then and there on that floor says, it's all ready. I've gotten it all ready. Go, get them to come in now. Do you have that urgency in your heart about inviting people to church, inviting people to know Jesus? How about this next one? It's all ready. It's all ready. It's like that. It's all set up. It's beautiful. I've got it all ready. Go get them now. Get them now. How about this next one? Here it is. This is what God says. This is what it looks like. It's all ready. It's set. The day is here. The urgency here also illustrates that Jesus is saying I'm here. The Messiah is here. Now is the time. Everything's ready. Everything God had to get set up is set up. Now accept me as Savior and Messiah. Now honor the King by honoring the Son. There's urgency. Okay, we know the King. We know Jesus. We know the servants. Let's talk about the feast. Write this down. The feast is God's heavenly kingdom. 
Jesus, it said Jesus spoke a parable saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. So the feast represents God's heavenly kingdom. What does that mean? Well, it can mean many things, and I'm not going to confuse you with all that it means, but here's basically what it, what it means. It means, yes, going to heaven to be with God forever. Entering the heavenly kingdom, heaven is described in, in times in Scripture as being a great banquet that you get to be a part of. God filling his presence with joy and welcoming you into it forever. But it's not just a future thing, it's also a now thing. And eternal life doesn't begin in the future. Your relationship with God can begin in this life where you've been welcomed into his presence and it feels like you're at a great party and you're his guest. And he fills your life with all of this blessing. So do you understand that the kingdom of heaven means you entering into God's presence as a guest and enjoying a relationship with him now and forever? That's the kingdom of heaven and it's portrayed as a banquet and a feast. We would call this the gospel Maybe you don't know what the gospel is. Maybe gospel to you is like, oh yeah, at the Grammys every year, they give out one weird award to strange Christian artists. It's like the gospel award. But what is the gospel? Uh, The gospel basically means good news. And according to this story, listen carefully, here's what the gospel is. Understand that you are freely invited to a banquet that you have no business attending that you don't deserve to attend. You are simply God's invited guest into eternal life. Understand that it's God who prepared everything. You prepared nothing. And understand that the purpose of this banquet is to get you to show honor to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the gospel. And if you accept his invitation and come into his presence and receive his favor, you will be saved. You'll enjoy his presence now and forever but you also have the opportunity to reject the invitation and to not live in his presence now and to not enjoy his presence forever. Let's talk now about four reactions and responses we see now to the invitation. This describes four different responses to the gospel today. And Jesus mentions these four different people groups. And listen, listen, you're in one of them. And I want you to be listening carefully. Is that me? Am I in that group? No, is that me? Am I in that group? Which group am I in? Okay, let's meet the first group. Write this down. Here's the first group. First group, I really didn't care, so I lost my chance. First group, I really didn't care to respond to the invitation, so I lost my chance. We read about this group in verse 3. It says, and God sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. They would not come. They just wouldn't come. And he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. How many invitations did they get? First, it says they were invited. Okay, you got the invitation in the mail and you maybe even put it up on your fridge. But you really weren't planning on going. That's one. Then somebody knocked on your door, a special courier. Knock, knock, I'm here to invite you. Everything's ready. Today's the day you got the invitation. Second invitation. No. Then God says, send a third invitation and tell them, no, the food's going to be great. It's on the table. It's all ready. Third invitation. Tell them. And, and still you said, no. And what did you do? You went off to work the farm. You went off to 
run the business. You, you just didn't want to come, and you just went on with life. This represents those who, in hearing the invitation of God repeatedly, react passively. No, thank you. You might even be polite. No, thank you. No, no, I don't want to. No, thank you. Passive. Um, but this creates a wedding disaster in God's mind because you're passive toward a great king. You're passive toward an amazing banquet. You're passive toward an urgent opportunity. And your passivity is viewed by God as insulting and offensive. Your passivity is not taken by God as being okay. Your passivity, your no thank you, your no, not right now, your maybe later, no, 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 creates a wedding catastrophe. How does it make God feel when I just hear the invitation and learn about Jesus and maybe come to church now and then, but just, no, it's not, no, no, it's, you know, I really don't care to take that seriously. Well, God might send you another courier. God might invite you a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth time because he's loving, because he's patient, because he wants you to come into his kingdom, okay? But eventually we see here that he says to his servants, those who after repeated invitation just don't care, just don't come, they are not worthy of getting in anymore. Door closed. Maybe you have taken lightly the things of God and maybe you're going to lose your chance. They ignored the messenger. Now, this was a disaster. Hey, do we have any engaged couples in the room? Anybody who's engaged in the room? Raise up your hand if you're engaged and you're planning your wedding. You're in the room. Anybody? No? Just too shy to hold? Right up there. Come on, hold your hands up nice and high. So cute and adorable. (laughs) Young love, getting everything ready, picking out the table settings, going through the songs, the hall, the flowers, the dress, the cake. Okay? Now... There's going to be a few things that go wrong, and you're not going to be able to stop that, all right? But what I hope doesn't happen is I hope your wedding isn't a disaster. I'm sure you're hoping that too, right? But I think we would agree. Okay, show this banquet hall again. I think we would agree that if you show up at your banquet hall and nobody's there, it would be a disaster. And then you'd wonder, well, did the invitations go out? And then you find out they did go out. What do you mean they went out? They got the invitation and they still didn't come, so then you pay for an emergency courier service. Knock on everyone's door. No, no, you know what? We just don't want to go. We just don't want to go. Well, what are you going to be doing instead? Well, I really got to milk the cow. You're cutting the cake and they're milking the cow. Or, you know, I've been putting off a trip to Costco for a long time and I got to get there. <laughs> what? You would be shocked, am I right? You'd be shocked. It would be a disaster. I was in college, I was a wedding DJ, so I know what it's like to see things going wrong at weddings. Uh, I'd go to many, two, three weddings a weekend for, for five years, and so I was at a wedding once where the cake fell over on the ground. It was a suicidal wedding cake, it just couldn't take it anymore. And they, were, they were taking pictures in front of the cake and it started to lean, and so they started to lean with it. <laughs> Quick, take pictures, snap, 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 and then boom! right on the ground. The cake's like, I'm out of here. I can't take it anymore. Ain't nobody eating me. (laughs) 
I was at a wedding. I was the DJ at a wedding where I, the, first, the couple got out on the dance floor, their first dance, and I played the music they had picked out. It was probably like a Celine Dion song, right? And they were dancing, and then the song started to skip. <laughs> this was back when they, we had CDs, those plastic things, for those who don't know what they are. And, uh, you know, I'm everything. I, I'm back there like, bam, 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 start working. They had to come up to the DJ table pick out a new first song from the list and then go back out there and dance to their second choice. I was like, no, this is a disaster. At another wedding, my, my uh, co-DJ like jumped up on the table and start, he got really into it and then the table fell over <laughs> and the whole yard equipment fell on top of him. <laughs> it was really bad. <laughs> I'm sorry I shared all of that with you guys. I hope those things don't go wrong in your wedding. <laughs> Get a good cake. <laughs> By far, the worst thing that could possibly happen, the disaster is if people just don't care to come. And trust me, your heart would be broken. And if you're a king and these are your subjects, you'd be totally heartbroken. It means they don't care about you. It means they don't care about your son. It means they really don't care about your kingdom. And hey, ask yourself this. Does this describe you? Are you the one who's simply passively responding to the truth about Jesus? Is Jesus just not important to you? Are the things of God, the Word of God, the Church of God, is it just not, you just don't care? And do you think, see, do you have the boldness in your own heart to think that God's going to be okay with that? That even though you didn't care all your life, that when you arrive, He's going to just welcome you in like a guest? And and here there's a warning going out to you today that if you don't care about Jesus in this life, you're not getting into His heavenly presence in the next. Hey, you need to hear that. God is not okay with those who are passively rejecting the truth about Jesus. It's not enough to just think Jesus was an okay person and maybe to say a few nice things about him. And It's not enough. You have to come into the banquet and bring full honor and respect and adoration to the one whom God has exalted. That's what God's inviting you to. First, I didn't really care, so I lost my chance. Second, Second group of people, I resisted strongly, so I was destroyed. Write that down. I resisted strongly, so I was destroyed. Different group of people, okay, different group. You're, you're really upset because the people who are milking the cow didn't come to your wedding. Okay, that hurts. But there's this other group of people, and they're described in verse, uh, verse uh, where is it here, verse 6. It says this. One went to his farm, another to his business. Verse 6, when the rest, another group, seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. (laughs) Knock, knock. Hey, hey, I'm here to invite you to that banquet again. I know I'm the third person who's come by, but you're still invited. And then, and then the servant is killed. The servant of the king is killed for daring to invite this subject to a royal banquet. Okay, put it in modern terms. Let's say a few years down the road, President Obama decides to invite somebody to Sasha's getting married, okay? Wow, White House wedding. Hey, that sounds amazing. And, uh, and then you hear that somewhere, you know, that, uh, a, royal, that uh, a courier from the government came to somebody's door to give them the invitation, and the person pulled out a shotgun and blew a hole through the chest of the courier. You think that'd make the headlines? 
You think justice would be served fast? You think no matter your political party, there would be outrage that someone would be so violent? Different group of people. These people resisted strongly. And what happened to them? Well, it says in verse 7, the king was angry, so he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. A lot of truth wrapped up in this, but things are turning violent. What are we supposed to learn? Well, this group, this group would be those who are aggressively opposing the kingdom of heaven. In the original audience, it was made up of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay, just to give you some context here. Palm Sunday just happened. Jesus cleansed the temple, chased them out with whips. It's now Tuesday when Jesus is teaching this story. He's going to be on a cross by Friday. Do you understand where we're at? It's Tuesday. They're having meetings Tuesday night, Wednesday, plotting to kill him. Who do you think it represents when he says some seized his servants, killed them? Well, it could represent those people who are about to kill Jesus, but it also represents those who, after Jesus died, who would seize his servants the apostles, right? And kill them. And, and, and we understand how this ends. Do you know that in A.D. 70, Jerusalem itself was surrounded by a Roman army. And they breached the walls and they entered the city and they burned it to the ground. They went to the temple, even though they didn't get orders to do this. They went to the temple and they destroyed it and burned the temple to the ground. 1.1 million Jews, according to the historian Josephus, 1.1 million people were murdered in the streets. Blood ran down every street. What was Jesus talking about here when he said some killed his servants and the king was enraged and he sent an army and destroyed their city? He was telling them the future. Go ahead and treat my servants this way. It's not going to end well for you. Now we see the wrath of God here that will be poured out on those who resist the kingdom or the gospel uh, strongly, they will be destroyed. But listen, don't miss the mercy of God. How many invitations did, did they get to the wedding? He invited those people to the wedding. They got an invitation. They got messenger number one. They got messenger number two. They were invited three times. And then they killed the servants and then God destroyed them. Am I in this group? Am I in this group? You're in this group if you are hostile toward the claims of Jesus. It's not that you don't care. You're offended by who Jesus claimed to be. You get angry when Christians start telling you what to believe. You're furious at the thought that there's just one way. and Irate at the thought that people can be so narrow-minded as to... You're aggressively opposed to the teachings of God. And the invitation, it's offensive to you. Here, these people don't just dishonor the king. They reject his authority. They revolt against him and they start an uprising. And in addition, they mock his family. It's violent. And listen, if this is you, it was me. It was me in college. I made fun of Christians. I was furious with God, swearing at God at times. It was me. Hey, God's being patient with you. Hey, God's inviting you into his presence to honor his son. But his patience is going to run out. You will be destroyed because he's furious with you. But he wants you in. 
because he loves you. Hey, is this you? Are you resisting strongly? Is this you? Are you mocking and ridiculing and treating violently those who believe the claims of Christ? Is this you? God's saying, just, you're invited. Just come. Receive the invitation. Come to the banquet. I want you to be my guest. First group, I really didn't care, so I lost my chance. Second group, I resisted strongly, so I was destroyed. Third group, I pretended to care, but was eventually rejected. Write that down. I pretended to care, so I was eventually rejected. Surprise ending to the story. After the hall is filled, I know we're skipping down to verse 11, it says, when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. He said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Who does this represent? This represents those who are pretending to care about Jesus, but they don't, and so they're eventually rejected. Came to the wedding, didn't come dressed for the occasion. Wanted the food, wanted the fellowship, didn't want to stay out, was willing to at least make the trip, didn't change for the occasion. Now, okay, let's say that you do have a bunch of people come to your wedding, but let's say that there are a few people who just didn't dress right. Okay, imagine this guy showing up to your wedding. There he is. (laughs) Honey, did you see him? Like, he smelled really weird. And I don't think he was even wearing a shirt under those overalls. (laughs) Who is? I'm sorry to all of you who come from the South, but you're just an easy target. Howdy, I'm here! Oh, and, and the attire makes an offensive statement at just how highly you value not only the occasion, but also the honored, uh, the man of honor, the, the groom. You see, but I came, I came, I got there, I'm here. <sighs> who does this represent? This represents those who are pretending to be Christians. And they're doing it, they're doing a convincing job of it because they're allowed in. They got past the attendance somehow, even though they didn't wear the proper attire. Let's unpack this a little bit. What's the spiritual lesson here? Well, we have to understand that the garment, the changing of the clothes, basically means changed spiritually. You haven't been changed spiritually. doesn't matter what you're wearing on the outside. It's a portrayal of you changing spiritually. Well, how do you know that? Well, look again in Isaiah 61.10. We'll put it up on the screen. The Messiah is described as having a great banquet. What, what are the people who attend this banquet supposed to be like? Well, it says this. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. What, what's the garment? Of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of, what does it say there? So what am I doing in the presence of this banquet? I'm greatly rejoicing in the Lord. The Lord in the New Testament means the Son. I'm rejoicing. I'm worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior and Messiah. And also I'm clothed in righteousness and salvation. And it even goes on to talk about a bridegroom. And so it's a wedding setting. What it means is you're not just among the people of God. You're not just at church. You're not just in the small group. You have changed. You are saved. And you are now righteous in God's sight. Listen carefully. The way you get righteousness in the Bible is not by trying to improve your own moral behavior. You can't do that. Coming to church doesn't make you righteous. Doing good deeds doesn't make you righteous. Being kind to your spouse doesn't make you righteous. The Bible says that God gives you righteousness when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. This is so important. 
When you trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, the first thing God does is He takes all of your sins away. Praise God for that. But the second thing He does is He gives you the perfect righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ, in your account, in your soul. You are made righteous in an instant. And that's what it means when it says you've put on the new garment of salvation. You've cast off the old filthy clothes and repented of your sins, and now you are clothed in the righteousness of God. But this person didn't change. Didn't change. Wasn't saved. What does this mean? What does this mean? It means this. It means Jesus is secretly worthless to this person. And you need to ask yourself if that's you. It doesn't end well for this guest. This guest thinks he's okay. This guest certainly didn't see the ending of this story coming. But the first thing the king sees when he walks into the room is, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. Bind him hand and foot, throw him into the darkness, where there will be weeping, 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 and anguish, the gnashing and the grinding of the teeth. He, he will be in anguish and darkness and sorrow. And that's a portrayal of going to hell. Going to hell. So there's some who came here this morning thinking you're going to heaven. But the Bible is warning you, you're not going to heaven. You will be surprised when judgment day rolls around and you thought the superficial honor you showed to Jesus, the regular attendance you thought was okay, and that God would be okay with that. And he's telling you he's not okay with that. He's telling you if you come unchanged, unwilling to give the Son the full honor and and glory that he deserves, you're going to be bound and thrown out into the darkness forever. Every one of us should take this somber truth to heart because it could be you. It could be you. I think I'm okay. Nope. First thing I noticed is you don't belong here. You haven't changed. Get out. You think you're okay, but you're not. I pretended to care, but I was eventually rejected. Notice the word friend. Notice the word friend. 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 This person even built up some sort of rapport with the king. This person should have known better, which is why when the king says, friend, Who let you in that way? What did this person say? In other words, I knew better. In other words, I have no excuse. In other words, I faked it and thought I would be okay, and I'm not. And now I'm going to hell forever, and it's too late. Friend. Who's Jesus talking to in the original audience? I had to think about this a little bit, because he wouldn't be talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're the ones who killed He wouldn't be talking to the common Jews. They're the ones who just ignored. He wouldn't be talking to his disciples. Who is he talking to? Well, the word friend is used three times in the book of Matthew. Once before this, once here in this parable. You know the next time Jesus says the word friend? It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. Late Thursday night when the mob shows up with the torches and the swords and Judas kisses him on the cheek. And what does he say? Friend, do what you've come to do. And I think that word friend... How could Judas not remember what he heard with his own ears when Jesus said, the king said to this guest at the friend, how did you get in here? You're gone forever. He was warning Judas, and he's warning anyone here today who's putting on the show, 
going through the motions, but secretly in your heart, Jesus means nothing to you. Maybe when you think of Judas, you think of this dirty, gambling-like looking guy who's got a scruffy look and you can't trust him. And uh, No, no. When you think of Judas, understand that no one suspected him. Jesus said at the last stop, one of you is going to betray me. Who is it? Who is it? We don't know who it is. We can't figure it out. If you met Judas today, you would never suspect he's the one. He was good. He was sharp. They put him in charge of the money. He'd be the church treasurer today. We'd trust him so much. Him? Not him. Never him. Is this you? Are you fooling your family? Are you fooling those around you? Are you pretending? But deep in your heart, God knows, he sees you're not changed. You are withholding full allegiance and worship from the Son, and you think it's going to be okay, and it's simply not. Four responses. One, I really didn't care, so I lost my chance. Two, I resisted strongly, so I was destroyed. Three, I pretended, so I was eventually rejected. But thankfully, here's the fourth group. Here's the fourth group, and this is the group God's inviting all of you to be a part of. Write this down. I responded faithfully, so I became a welcome guest. I responded faithfully, so I became a welcome guest. Looking back at verse 8, he sent the fourth group of servants out in verse 8. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, Hey, it doesn't matter if you feel like you've lived a good, upstanding, moral, religious life. It doesn't matter if you lived an awful life. God is inviting you into his banquet. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. The wedding that started out as a disaster actually ended up with a full hall. And it turned out to be good because those who came filled the hall. But the warning is, it says in verse 14, for many are called but few are chosen, leaving you to ask yourself, are you a part of the many who reject or are you a part of the few, the few who are among the chosen of God? Well, how do I know? How do I know if I've responded faithfully and I become a welcome guest? Well, understand the invitation is expanded to everybody. This fourth group of servants can encompass God sending his followers to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. You are welcome in the banquet. You need to hear that, that God's welcoming you, even if you've aggressively opposed him, even if you've been insulted and angry, even if you've been hostile toward him. doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter who you are. He's sending you another invitation today. Come, you're invited. Come in, into my presence. Honor my son. You'll be with me now and forever. You are invited. Praise God. Praise God for the invitation he extends to all of us. But are you going to heaven? Does your life display fellowship with Jesus? I want to be crystal clear here. I want you to be able to find out what group you're in right now. If you're worried, well, which group am I in? I don't know what. Here's three questions you can ask yourself right now. First, have I accepted the invitation of the king? When my king called, did I answer? It happens at a moment in your life where God calls you to honor him as king and to honor his son as Lord and Savior. Have you done that? Have you received the invitation? You can't work for it. You can't earn it. The Bible says that it's a gift so that no one may boast. Have you received the free gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you? Can you tell me of a time in your past when you have? 
Second, do you worship the Son as Savior and Lord? Do you understand that his presence is described here as one big banquet to honor his Son? And if you don't come and honor the Son, you can't honor the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. Have you honored the Son? Have you called upon Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And third question is this, are you now clothed with righteousness? Meaning, have you cast off your life of sin and repented of your known sins once and for all? And have you received the righteousness that only God can bestow upon you? Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you don't struggle with sin. It means you made a decisive break from your allegiance to sin and you are now, thanks to God's grace, made righteous and being purified each day. Is that you? Or is Jesus unimportant to you? Or is Jesus offensive to you? Or is Jesus secretly worthless to you? Hey, maybe God brought you here this morning so you can hear and receive the invitation. Maybe one more time, a servant me is now knocking on your door saying everything's ready. God's made it all ready. It's going to be grand and glorious. Come honor the Son and enter the presence of the Father. Come. I want to give you a chance to receive that invitation. I want to give you a chance to enter into God's presence by faith, honoring His Son right now. Let's all close our eyes and let's pray together in response to this parable. Father, we bow and we pray to you. I love so much of this parable. I love what we learn about you. I love that you are a high and holy king. I love that you have all authority. You're sovereign. And yet you're patient in inviting your subjects who are nonchalant and passive and aggressive. You keep inviting us to receive eternal life. Lord, I remember my own story when I was a freshman in college and I was so aggressively opposed to you, so filled with hatred and fury of you, yet you loved me and you were patient with me. And you called and I responded. I remember kneeling beside my bed and saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve death and hell, but I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and rose again. And I ask you, Jesus, to give me the gift of eternal life and forgive me of my sins. Lord, I remember that, but there are some here this morning who don't have confidence that they are in a right relationship with you. Some perhaps who even fear that they've been faking it and they fear the thought of you throwing them out of the kingdom forever. Lord, I just pray that anyone who lacks that certainty would resolve that tension right now. They may want to pray in their own hearts something like this, Father in heaven, forgive me for sinning against you, for provoking you, for despising you, for breaking your heart. Forgive me. Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. Save me from my sins. Forgive me of my guilt. Wash me within. Give me assurance that I will enter into your presence now and be with you forever. Lord, those who are calling on you and accepting the invitation right now, give them reassurance that you will never leave them, you will never forsake them. Fill them with the joy that comes when they know they are welcome guests at the table of a loving God. Fill their life with worship of Jesus. Fill their life with gratitude for what he's done. I pray that as you save souls, that 
those who are saved would have the courage to be baptized and to tell publicly what you've done in their heart privately. We give you all the glory for you, our Savior alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.